Hey, I'd love to have you grab a Bible underneath the, uh, the seat in front of you. If you're in the front row, the people behind you are going to pass some Bibles up over your shoulder so that you have a Bible. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. We are uh, in our series of digging in. We're digging in. We're looking at what it looks like to be God's church by studying the early church. By the way, I am a UC Davis grad right now. Let me have some love for that. Any other UCD, any other Aggies in the crowd? There we go, right there. These guys have been on retreat this week, uh, this weekend here at our church in Marin and getting some time with the Lord and uh, empowering, getting re-empowered for their, their life and their ministry back on campus. I know there's other, probably other uh, campuses you guys are on in addition to UCD, but we love that you're, you're church in Davis and we love UCD, so welcome. Glad you're here. Um, and that's why it was hard to find a seat today. It was their fault, so uh, good work. We're in Acts chapter 8. Here's the deal, okay? Excuse my get, excuse my get off the lawn, my lawn moment, okay? You ready? Life is so difficult. Life is so hard. Nobody told me that when I was 22 years old. I mean, they spoke all the idealism about life into me, but man, as I've gotten older through the years, I'm like, man, life is difficult. Even in the most mundane, silly uh, in almost inconsequential ways, we realize that things are hard. Things come our way that we're like, man, what? wow, what am I supposed to do with this today? Like this morning, I opened up my computer, turned it on, went to get my notes out of it, and my computer crashed. Did I just learn the save everything in the cloud lesson today? And uh, couldn't access it. Done. Gone. So fortunately, I had my slides and I had my whole sermon outline, so I went and rewrote you know, all the details of it and just like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? This morning, I got I to gotta rewrite my sermon this morning because I can't find all my notes, which you know where I go with, right? The Lord's so smart and so gracious to you because that sermon was awful, apparently. <laughs> no, it's the same sermon, but I didn't have all the notes, I mean, all the details you know, in it. And so uh, I had to uh, kind of go back to um, uh, the basics. But life is so, there's so many things you just come and ask. We're like, boy, what am I supposed to do that? What am I supposed to do that? Even the stuff that's not in places of greatest pain and terrible terror like we've seen around the world. It's even the small stuff. This is why uh, it's, it's a thing that, you know, uh, you know, Dale Carnegie popularized that phrase, uh, when life gives you lemons... You make lemonade, right? You say like that. When life gives you lemonade, you make lemonade. Like that was 1948. He wasn't the first one to say that. But that actually became a thing in our country that people would say that all the time. It, it gives away that what we really all believe that, in fact, life's going to give you lemons. And in fact, we are all longing for something practical, something helpful, something redemptive that we can do when junk comes our way. And so life gives us lemons and we're going to make lemonade. In fact, if you go online, there's all kinds of pretty fun memes. It's not just that. It's when life gives you lemons. Somebody said, grab tequila and salt. That's uh, some of you resonate with that. Uh, probably more. Somebody else said, when life gives you lemons, give it back and, and tell them you want coffee. That's what you need in the face of this. Somebody else said, uh, and there's a whole slew of these, when life gives you lemons, you uh, squeeze them in people's eyes. You know, just like a, a root of bitterness coming out, not wanting to, knowing what to do with the lemons that come our way. There's a whole bunch. I actually think it's worth a, a journey down the Google uh, rabbit hole to see some of the memes that are out there. One, I couldn't get permission to use the artwork, but somebody said, uh, raise your hand if you've had quite enough unsolicited advice about what should be done with any lemons that life may or may not be giving you. <laughs> um, 
Life is difficult. And our text in Acts, as we're pursuing this journey of what is the early church about and what does it teach us about who we're supposed to be, our text in Acts chapter 8 addresses the way more substantial questions of where is God in these difficulties? How is God at work in his church in these difficulties? And how do I live as a kingdom servant in it? And, and, the, and, and the way that I get to that is just from the very first verse of Acts uh, chapter 8. If you get there with me, look and see this text. This is the, the difficulties the churches now facing are ma- is a matter of life and death. This no longer can be qualified as lemons. It's, it's poison. It's violence. It's life and death. And so we're in Acts chapter 8. The very first verse is before that little subheading. It says, and Saul approved the killing of him. Do you see that? Has everybody got a Bible out? I'm going to have no uh, text on the screen after this, so I want you to have a Bible open. So go ahead and grab one if you were like, well, I'll just look up on the screen here. I want you to be able to see it. And Saul approved the killing of him. The killing of who? You go back to chapter 7, which we didn't get a chance to cover in our walking through Acts. Okay, by the way, here's a by the way. Here's a by the way. We thought it'd be so great to preach through the book of the first 10 chapters of Acts and just see what we learn about being God's people. And then we realize it's way too much. So we've made an agreement with you. We've made an assumption, and this is an agreement, that you'll be reading the book of Acts during this whole thing, that you'll be in there studying, that you'll be in there steeped in it. And all the questions you have about the text that I'm going to read to you today that I'm not going to answer to you, that you're going to like take on yourself to go study and read it and figure it out, right? So that you'll be steeped in God's word. You, you, we made that agreement. Didn't we make that agreement? Nod your head if you made that agreement with me. Nod your head if that's the first time you've heard it. Nod your head if you're like, okay, well, that'll work for me. I'll make that agreement right now. Okay. Uh, We're not going to get to Stephen. Stephen was somebody, when when Daniele talked about about, uh, change last week, the beginning of verse 6, after that, one of the changes was that that they brought people in. They brought people from the outside in to be leaders of the church. It wasn't no longer just the Jerusalem Jewish Christians who were leading the church. They brought people from outside that, the, 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 the Greek influenced people, and among them was Stephen. And then it tells Stephen's story. Immediately, Stephen got in trouble and got persecuted and then ended up getting killed. Hey, welcome to leadership. <laughs> welcome to being significant in God's kingdom. And so they brought in these people. Stephen then gives this speech to the people about who Jesus was and what the story is, and they killed him. And verse 8 of our text today, verse 1 of chapter 8, our text today, and Saul approved of their killing of him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, where now the church is going to face difficulties that are way beyond lemons and trying to figure out lemonade. These are matters of life and death. The world has turned upside down for them, that the resurrection of Jesus was an upside down turning for them. They said, they said oh my gosh, he really is the Messiah. Let's give our lives to this whole thing. We're going to serve him. And then now people are getting killed for it. And they're like, oh boy, what are we supposed to do with this? How is God going to work in this? How do I respond in this? And this begins now to parallel our lives. And we're not experiencing persecution. Thanks be to God in our country, we're not experiencing persecution. And when you read these texts, and if you think, well, I don't even know how to apply that because the church doesn't experience persecution, two things. One, 
I really pray and beg that you would do some of the research and look around and find out that in fact, one in 12 Christians in the world are in fear of their lives for being a follower of Jesus. One in 12. 270 million Christians right now are under the weight of what they call either um, um, persecution, difficult persecution or extreme persecution in our world. And secondly, I would say, if we think, boy, we're not experiencing persecution, that does not change the fact that we face in our lives of wanting to follow Christ, we face all kinds of dynamics that come in of what do we do with the pain we encounter? What do we do with the sacrifices that we make? What do we do with the injuries that we incur? As followers of Christ, we approach those completely different than those who, of course, would not know about who God is and the good news of Jesus. And so we're now facing issues ourselves, maybe not fearful of our lives, but certainly issues that are worthy of our whole lives, right? And it changes everything. And so the church is facing these difficulties. And so we, we ask the question about, well, how would the church enter into this process when things didn't, aren't going our way, when things are terrifying, when things are life-changing? How is it that we follow him? And in verse Chapter 8, that is, going forward, we're going to see among the many concepts of this uh, in this chapter and in the, in the couple of chapters that we're going to do before we finish our book of Acts, you're going to see this, this idea that God moves even in difficult times. God moves even in difficult times. God moves especially, maybe you would say, in difficult times. I want you to know this, church, because a lot of us are like, I don't know. I don't, we don't see difficult times corporately as a church. And then when I face difficult times, sometimes I compartmentalize them. I'm like, well, oh, yippee skippy Jesus, everything's all fine and dandy. But then I got this stuff in my life that's not going well. And I don't know what to do with it. And never the twain shall meet. I'm telling you right now, God's people are going to encounter persecution slash difficulty slash trial. And the twain always meets. I don't know if that's a phrase or not, but you know what I'm saying? They always come together, and we ought to figure out how it is that we become God's people in this. God always moves, especially in, not just even in, but especially in difficult times. It's an amazing concept. When you study church history, what you find is that there are these times of stagnation and of death and of really um, the church being bad news, if any news at all, to the world. Those were times when the church was experiencing relative prosperity and peace. But then there are times in church history when literally all hell broke loose against it and the church grew like the supernatural organism that it is. If you study history, you'll find that happens all over the world. The church is growing like crazy in places where it's illegal to be a Christian, where it's difficult to be a Christian. God moves, especially in difficult times. And I'm telling you that because while you may not be experiencing life or death, you may not be experiencing persecution, I want you to know that whatever it is that you're facing, like, whoa, what am I supposed to do with this? From the mundane, from the small, to the, my car broke again, to the bigger, like, I think my job's going to end in the next couple of months, to the Bigger than that, I've lost someone that's dear to me in a tragic circumstance. No matter what that dynamic is, God still moves his church through those things. Do you hear me? Because I'm going to run out of time this morning, so I want to know that you get that. God still moves. 
He works in individuals and he works in his church, even in difficult times. In fact, especially, potentially, maybe even especially, God works in difficult times. That's what he specializes in. And why would that surprise us that our God is a God of redemption, that our God is a God of miraculous growth, that our God is a God that intervenes in places where there's no hope? That wouldn't surprise us, would it? why we worshiped all the way to this point in the message to remember those things. In fact, we see that in this message in both the Old Testament and the New Testament regarding the church itself, but about our stories and about our circumstances. Here's a really famous verse out of a really famous story from Genesis chapter 50. I put it on the screen for you. Joseph, uh, this is the end of Joseph's uh, uh, story. And this is where, remember, Joseph became the uh, second in command to the Pharaoh, and he was in charge of all of Egypt, and his brothers had sold him into slavery, and it all, remember how that whole story goes. Oh, here's an agreement we made, that if I make reference to something like this, and you don't know that story, because you probably wouldn't know that story, many of you have not been in Genesis 50, that you'll go read it. Remember that agreement? You're going to go back and read that text, because there's no way, especially because I'm going to be out of time today, especially, there's no way I could tell you that story. But the way the story, the whole point of the story was that things got wacky, that God had a whole plan to take care of his people and plant them in the promised land and, and root them there and from them bring a Messiah to the whole world. God had this amazing plan, and it got all crazy sideways because people were acting all out of God's will. And these brothers sold Joseph into slavery into Egypt, and their dad was heartbroken. Remember this whole story? Well, this is what happens at the end of the story, Joseph says to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is being done right now, how amazing is this God? That people had intended some evil to happen, and God's like, yeah, but I'm going to make this good. To accomplish what is being done now, God had a way of figuring out how to accomplish his will, to move in the church, to bring the kingdom, to have people saved, and to have life at its fullest. God has always been able to take whatever goes down and do his thing with it. Do you believe that, church? The New Testament teaches it in Romans chapter 8. It's a very misquoted verse. Look at the text with me, the next one, Romans eight twenty-eight. Put that up on the screen, would you, for me? And we know... And we know, Paul said, this is what we know. We forget it, but this is what we know. That in all things, and no matter what goes down, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. No matter what goes down, God will work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Don't misread it. Don't misquote it. Don't say there's a reason for everything. God must have had a purpose for that tragedy. No, God will make a purpose out of that tragedy. We misquote it when we end up putting our, all kinds of trips on us about how to, uh, what we should do with this information that maybe God, in fact, brought that tragedy. God, in fact, is bringing that persecution. I can't get there. We're not called to get there. That isn't true. It may be true. I don't know what God's willing to bring into your life in order to rescue your soul, church. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he'll bring into your life. But we don't blame every evil thing that's ever happened on God wanting to do something. We blame it on three things. One, the bumper sticker, stuff happens in our fallen world. Two, you have an enemy of your souls that wants to destroy you. There is a literal devil and the demonic realm that wants to take you out of the game of being a worshiper and a lover of Jesus and a savior, a, a lover of this world to help them get saved. There, there's an enemy 
And so he'll come after you. And it's, he's destined to bring evil into your experience. So stuff happens, including stuff that people do that are evil. The enemy does stuff. By the way, people aren't always just flat out evil. People are just stupid. Have you known that, by the way? Get off my lawn. People are just stupid. <laughs> and then God himself will come and thwart your efforts. God himself sometimes will come and thwart your efforts to find life in anything other than his spirit in you and Jesus Christ being your hope. God will come and thwart you. So if you have false lovers in your life, and everyone does, where we think, I'll be happy if, I'll be happy when, God will come and sometimes keep that at bay as a grace to you. And you'll be like, I'm suffering. How is God in that thing? It's because he loves you too much to let you have the thing that would capture your heart instead of him. You hear it? So those things happen. That's what happens. It's, it's stuff. It's Satan. It's God himself. I don't know. But in it and through it all, God will be on the move with his church. God will still be on the move with his church. And I want you to know, and I don't know if I said it, uh, I, maybe I'm going to say it later in my notes. I'm not sure. I'm going to forget. But I don't want, I don't want to miss this. This text in Acts chapter 8 says, well, all right, let's look at it. Let's look at the, the beginning of chapter, just look at verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So what are we talking about here? Persecution comes down on the church. It's a matter of life or death. People get scattered all over the realm. Stephen's already been killed. People have to run for their lives. And then what's verse 4 say? And they preached the word wherever they went. God's like, I don't know if God caused the persecution. I don't know if Satan caused the persecution. I don't know if stupid people caused the persecution. But God's like, I'm going to be on the move. And do you know that historically this is the beginning of the church moving from the little band of followers behind Jesus in Jerusalem? What did Jesus promise in Acts chapter 1? To Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This persecution that broke out, in fact, Stephen's blood watered the tree of the good news of Jesus going to the entire world where now everybody, soon, if we stay on this task, friends, every single people group on earth will be able to hear about Jesus. So the difficulty is, oh my gosh, they're getting persecuted. But the outcome was the persecution meant that when they got scattered, they preached the word everywhere that they ended up. Is that not incredible news? That's our God. It is a difficult life to follow Christ. It is a difficult life just being alive. But in fact, what's happening is that God can continue to work. Hope you're taking notes. I'm going to give you a shotgun and I'm going to take uh, three minutes. I'm going to give you uh, five point, four points that I, wanted to, uh, that I wanted to preach on someday. Here they are. Ready? This Philip becomes now in Acts chapter 8, which we've made an agreement. You're going to go read every verse of Acts chapter 8. There's two sections about Philip, verses 1 through 4, or two through, 3 through 4, or 2 through 4, whatever, and then, uh, and then toward the end of the chapter. And there's a whole thing in the middle about a sorcerer. It's fascinating. How does that all fit in? Yeah, you really got to go read it. And so, it's <laughs> such a preacher cop-out. Yeah, I can't even tell you how. It's, it's so much. You got to go read it. 
But what you're going to read in there, what you're going to read in there is that in the middle of that, the word went out into Samaria. That was the next place outside of Jerusalem. And we're going to see next week that Paul became a Christian and brought the gospel not only to the Jews in Jerusalem and Samaria, then he brought the gospel to the Gentiles that lived outside of that. That's what we're going to see next week and in chapter 10, the week after. And I'll, I'll come back and, and, not, and, and not get through those passages either. Okay, so, uh, so Philip, you've got Philip here. So Philip becomes a follower of Jesus in the midst of difficult circumstances because the question is, how are we going to live in this? If God's going to want to be on the move, if he wants his church to thrive, if he wants us to, bring, to have life and to be his servants in the midst of difficult circumstances, how do we do it? Here we go. One, we're going to be, Philip became God's man in every situation. I don't mean to have exclusive language there, but we're talking about Philip and I wanted it to feel very personal. I first had it say he became God's person. I really wanted to be personal. I want us to own this sense of, that here's the question, church, that no matter what it is we face, can you say, I am God's woman here now? And all that that probably means, I am submissive to the lordship of Jesus. I'm Jesus's man in this, no matter what I face. So men, if you, uh, uh, or you know, anybody, but I'm saying, you know, if you're God's man, if you're God's woman, if you, if you face a financial hit, then we stop as believers and we say, how am I God's man now in this, facing this? What kind of strength do I bring to the table? What kind of trust do I have in the Lord? What kind of prayer am I leading my family and the people that I'm walking with through in this? Am I God's man in this situation? You see that in the story that, Philip, everywhere he went, look at verse four and five. You know, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he, in Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah there. Being God's man was that he ended up going, I'm running for my life. Oh, I'm in Samaria. All right, I'm gonna go down to this village. And wait, what do you mean you guys don't know about the Messiah? Let me tell you about the Messiah. He was God's man where God planted him. And you look at his life a little bit, or the, the other story a little bit later on, flip over to verse 26. Verse 26, now, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he went on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch. You go through the story, I'll talk about it in just a quick sec, but he became God's man. He's like, okay, God said to go here, I'm gonna go there. And then he just went and encountered everything that the Lord lined up for him to encounter. And his question in every circumstance was, so how am I to be God's man right now in this thing I'm facing? What's God want from me right here? Does that resonate with you? In what you're facing? How am I God's woman right now? Are you God's woman in that? What's going on in your week, college students? Are you God's man in what you're facing tomorrow? Right? How do I become his person in this? Second, he became God's man in every situation. He also led, was led and listened, led by and listened to the Holy Spirit, right? If you go to that story of Philip and the Ethiopian, an angel of the Lord says to him, and that's God's leading, whether it was the Holy Spirit or, or a messenger from him, the angel of the Lord says to him, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down. And so he started out on his way like, okay, I'm on my way, I'm going. God said, go, and here I go. 
And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Can you imagine him? He's going. He's like, the last thing I heard is God came through and said, go down this road. And he's like, all right, well, I don't have anything else to do because I can't go back to Jerusalem. So here I go. I'm going to go down this road. And then he sees an Ethiopian eunuch. He sees an, he's, a, he's, a, he's a, um, like the finance minister of Ethiopia. And he, and he sees this guy and he's like, huh, that's an interesting person to just run into today. I wonder if that's what God has for me. Do you see what he's asking? How am I God's man in this situation? And so he's like sensing it. Is this something that God has for me? Are you looking at it? So he starts out and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, so the man was a seeker. And so on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet, and the spirit said, yeah, that guy, go, go stand by that chariot. He didn't say, he didn't even tell him how it was going to all go. He just goes, go stand by the chariot. L- listen, I hope you're feeling that that's a little bit of a ridiculous story, and yet I hope that that convicts you that our lives don't look that ridiculous, that we're so in touch with the Spirit of God that he'd say, I want you to go down this road right now. We're going to go like, I don't even... First of all, I don't even stop to listen to you. Second of all, if I did, I wouldn't even know that was your voice. And third of all, that's a ridiculous thing to tell me, so how can that possibly be from God? Does anybody resonate with that? <laughs> and the Lord goes, yeah, go down this road. So he started. He was obedient. And the Lord goes, and he sees an Ethiopian eunuch, and he's like, I don't know, what should I do here? What is this? Is that the thing? And the Lord's like, yep, go stand by it. And then the thing unfolds. I wish I could preach it. You got to go read it. We made an agreement. You're going to go read it. Does it resonate with you that no matter what you're going through, it will require of you to put yourself in a place, listen, to hear what God has for you to do in that, to hear what God wants from you as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you put yourself in a place to listen to God, to even do the most radical things where you're like, I don't know, I think for a week I'm supposed to go sit here. Listen, I would rather have you be thought a fool and be able to be on the adventure of submitting yourself to a God who wants to do something beyond all of your wildest expectations than to be so cool and so together that you never see or hear God work miraculously. I also wonder if this is not embedded in a story of persecution and difficulty because without difficulty, we don't get desperate enough to seek God in that way. Let's raise the floor. Let's raise the bottoming out, friends, and seek God like that on a daily basis. He became God's man in every situation. He was led and listened to by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to skip the fourth one, but I'm going to give you this third one. He was engaged with the spiritually hungry. Look on the wall. This is what we exist to do as a church, to engage with the spiritually hungry. We're going to engage with people. We're going to walk with them in their journey. We're not going to hit them over the head with what's true because they're such stupid people that they don't believe exactly the way we do right now. That is not okay. But we believe that our God loves everybody and is at work within them from the inside out and from the outside in in their circumstances that he's creating a spiritual hunger in every human being. And we're going to engage with them in that process. And when you look at his story, that he, when he was dealing with the Ethiopian eunuch, he just started asking him questions. And he started with where the guy was. It says in the text that he said to you, what are you reading? And the guy said, I'm reading this Isaiah thing. Can you help me understand it? The guy asked him, can you help me understand it? He didn't say, because you're from outside of here, you know nothing. Let me tell you what's right. Nobody's ever been drawn to the love and the saving grace of God through being told how stupid and how ignorant they are. Ever. Ever. But God works from within, and God's servants 
get alongside the chariots <laughs> and go, what are you reading? Think about it. He's saying, tell me about your journey. I want to hear about your journey. I'm going to engage with your spiritual hunger. I want to listen to you. And then he followed God as that unfolded. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's what happens when, we're in, when people are in difficulty and we're in difficulty, we just surrender ourselves and God gives us a ministry in the midst of it. Well, this stuff isn't even just about being in difficulty, is it? This is uh, really, this unfolds, this, these, how Philip acted sort of in, unfolds the way we would behave no matter how difficult the times are. But I want to bring it back to you and to the whole idea that God would continue to move no matter if life has taken a different track than you want it to. And so here's your action item as we finish up. We've been trying to do action items every time. Let's go to those action items. First, what I want you to sit with the Lord this week and say, what has thrown you for a loop? What in your life where you're like, this thing, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. Can you already identify it? Some of you in your head right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the thing where you're like, I don't know where God is in all that. Friends, I want you to stare it down, not put it way over here in the dark closet and be over here with skippy, yippy Jesus. I want you to stare it down in the presence of God and go, what's this about? What do I do with this? Because remember what I said, God works even in and maybe especially in the difficulties. I want you to stare it down in the presence of God. Okay, I want to preach more. I can't. I'm out of time. I want you to live with God in that tension and become a worshiper that says, you, you, God, can redeem anything. And what you want to do with this is way, way beyond my even conceiving that it could be good. So come and do your thing. I surrender this difficulty and this time in my life to you. So that difficult, what's thrown you for a loop? Meet with God with it. And then do some journaling around this second question, and that is, how might God want to work? How might he want, might be able to be using me? What's he want me to do in this moment? Are there people that need to be loved? Is there stuff in my character that needs to be changed? Is there good news that needs to be given to those around me that are spiritually hungry? What might God want to be trying to do? Begin to listen and to imagine to how God might want to take this story of difficulty and go from here to unbelievable work and transformation and glory for his glory. May God meet you wherever you are in all those difficulties and encounter you this week as you process this.